Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. All right. Now you're in a conference room, so you're not demoing or anything like that. We're just going to have a conversation. Perfect. So I've got some people here live with me. So we may get some questions here at the end, but otherwise, you know, I think the key thing for me is to, you know, I've got a ton of students and I got a ton of people that are interested in environment arts and and all that. And you, this is something you've absolutely, you know, you've been doing this for how long? Oh shit! Like 2006, so 12 years now. Wow, that's about. I'm uh, elder, dude. I'm elder, but I'm really young at heart. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm in touch with with the younger audience. I work with some younger people, so yep, my yep. meme game is very weak. But we're good, though. We're good. <laughs> good. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was looking at some of my old posts online, and I think the oldest was like 2006. So it's like, man, hmm. that's 12 years. You know. Still doing it though. Still doing it. So, what do you do now? Because you're at Riot Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So, and this is very different than what you were doing before, which was at um, Sparrow, Giant Sparrow, I think. Yeah, Sparrow. I was art directing. I was making art. I was doing. I was doing everything. We have a very small team. Is me and really like three other artists, one 2D and then two 3D artists running the whole show, making all the art for the whole game. And so now over at Riot, big giant company with uh thousands of employees and now mm-hmm. i'm on a on a little secret special team cranking out some new stuff and still making art still doing environments and stuff like that just a lot more hands-on i get a i get to throw on the the headphones and jam out and crank out art all day and and work with with art directors and and the powers that be and things of that nature so i was reading in your one of your other interviews about how for you it's incredibly important to be making art like you know you want to be in the trenches work I do, I do you know the meetings and the the politics and things of that nature are just not not something that i really enjoy i can do it if if need be but uh it's not it's not where i want to be i'd rather be rather be modeling and texturing and set decking lighting and doing all the fun stuff you know yeah totally yeah. now does then that uh, keep you working learning new tools and busting your hump a bit i would love to say yes but in all honesty, I am a little bit behind the curve of the, the hip new kids that are coming out of school these days. They got the mm-hmm. substance, painter, designer, everything integrated in Unreal, workflow, blah, 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 all that stuff. I can do the painter stuff. I don't do it all day, every day. So I'm not as up to par with it. But over here at Riot, you know, we, the, you've seen League of Legends and the style of, of environment there is very yeah. hand painted, very painterly stuff. So there's a big reason why I wanted to hop over to Riot was to kind of diversify the tool set of my repertoire and, and try to dive into the you know more hand painted stuff and the things that Riot has been known for. Yeah, I was looking like Molly's room or or even the stuff that you were doing. I think it was the Edith Finch. Uh-huh. All of it's realism. It is. It's it's realism, and I, you know, it's funny. The concept artist that was at Sparrow. When I joined, his name's Theo Aredos, and uh, he's now working with me here at Riot on the project that we're on together. And mm-hmm. he has a very, very distinctive conceptual style that is very painterly, very loose. Uh, he plays with light and bounce light and things of that nature to a fantastic degree. And 
on Finch, it was kind of like <sighs> coming from Call of Duty, going to Finch. We needed to reboot the entire pipeline. We needed to make all the art for the entire game from scratch. We needed to do it all over again, basically. And it was me and two other artists to do this whole fucking thing. And I was like, how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to do this by going to tried and true, quick modeling, quick unwraps, quick textures. Can't spend two days on one prop. We still did bake out normals and did the traditional workflow for props and assets. It's just we couldn't spend as much love on all the little nitty gritty details that you would put into AAA titles. So with that, I was hoping to cater more towards a little bit of a painterly style, but it never works out that way. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it was it was a challenge. It was a challenge. The artistic stylization and direction for Finch really kind of, in my opinion, came from the colors and the color palettes of the rooms and kind of mm-hmm. kind of trying to dissect each person of each room into their own little story and their own storytelling within the environment. And how much of the lighting and the color are you responsible for? Oh, yeah, all of it. 100% all of it. On Finch, it was because the way that it worked there, it was, it was me, Greg Pryor, 3D artist, Corey Davis, the other 3D artist. They were primarily making props and textures while I was building out the house, building the floors, building the rooms, the walls, building the textures, mapping everything, getting everything set decked into the room, placed just right, and then doing all the lighting as well. So my primary responses were of like the higher level of getting all that stuff in there and getting it to look good while I was just constantly feeding the other two environment artists, which is prop after prop after prop and getting them stockpiled with props so that we can deck out that house the way that it was. A lot of props in there. Yeah. You were making the props so that they could assemble the the scenes? Or no, you I'm sorry. They, them- they, were, they were primarily making the props, and then I was doing all the set decking and the lighting and texture work and all that good stuff. And where do you, what are you assembling these in? What software? So Finch was all done in Unreal 4. Um, okay. I believe we were patched like 412 or 413 or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Unreal pretty much out the box. We had a couple uh, engineers that would that would tweak out the engine a little bit for the different mechanics and stuff that we needed. But uh, yeah, pretty much nothing, nothing too crazy. Unreal and then Maya for modeling. Quick unwraps and bakes in i still use x normal i think i think yeah i think everyone on the team was using x normal and then Mm -hmm. uh painting up our textures in photoshop and then yeah and then unreal for the engine great and in when you're putting them together in photoshop is this like texture bashing hand painting how's that work a little a little bit of photo bashing we definitely had a we had a good folder of of kind of like base materials that was kind of the way that i was that i was always brought up in in texturing from the cod days was kind of you know, you have your base woods, base metals, base tiling library that right. you kind of use as your background to slap on. And then we were overlaying our AO maps, overlaying cavity maps, dropping the opacity of those down a little bit. And then I did actually come up with uh, Quixel Suites Endu and Dedu. I, mm-hmm. I came up with a little bit of a workflow where we could bake using a preset that I had created that kind of gave a little bit of a stylized preset that would kind of feather away some of the edges so you wouldn't get that super procedural look. And basically, whenever anyone that made a prop, we would run it through these Endu filter presets, and you'd get about 60% of the way there. Once you overlay your base material, boom, you're kind of like, you know, 60 75% there. The rest is just in the in the quick little fine-tuning, painting, and details and stuff like that. Cool. And Kyle, who's here with us live, he's asking a question I want to get to here in a, in a second about how how you establish the mood of the rooms and, and all that, because it's, as Kyle says, very effective. 
But before we get there, I, I noticed in your background, you actually uh, were a Met painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over at Blizzard and Disney. So it's funny. I started when I was in school, I was doing primarily like CG renders, high poly okay. stuff with no yeah. texture resolution limits, that kind of stuff using V-Ray to actually I used Brazil back in school because V-Ray was just barely coming out and uh, and then hopped on to V-Ray. And then I went into the my first gig was at LucasArts, uh, game industry stuff. And so that was really where I learned all the tricks and trade of, of game art creation. They didn't really teach us that at school in Otis back then. It was primarily just modeling, texturing, and lighting. So a lot of the learning that I did was happening on early my first year right out of school at LucasArts. Thank God, Gilbert Martinez, fantastic environment artist that kind of, he graduated from Otis two years before me. So he kind of took me under his wing and was like, yo, what are you doing? You're just, you're just planar mapping that, that prop and painting the texture. Now you got to unwrap it. You got to unfold it and lay out all the UVs everywhere. I'm like, what? I had no idea that that's how you're supposed to do props and assets for video games. So yeah, a lot of learning quick, but that being said, it was fantastic. And I could not speak highly, more highly than, than the team of people that I worked with and how everybody was so so welcoming, so together with helping one another out and leveling everybody up so that everything was looking good, especially us juniors. There's me and there's this other kid named Brian Rechtenwald, and uh, he's over at Naughty Dog now, but we actually started same day. We graduated school, same time, and same project, same everything. He's a phenomenal artist, but we basically kind of started same day, same path, and yeah, together we, we learn, we bounce ideas off each other. It was just, it was great. Sorry, to come full circle to your question about the mapping stuff. After all that, I uh, went over to Disney. And in Disney, they hired me in the art department to do some modeling for their feature films. Uh-huh. And after modeling a couple things, I was like, you know, you want me to texture this stuff? And they're like, no, no, no. We got a, a surfacing department that textures everything. I was like, oh, that, that sucks because I, I really like texturing too. And a little bit after that, they said, well, maybe moving you over to the art department working with map painting might be might be up your alley since you since you like to light and you like to texture and, and do all that stuff yeah and uh moved me over there and sat with chris stosky he was the map painting lead at the time um and he kind of brought me under his wing and showed me and taught me about how map painting works for for feature film he was coming from ilm and yeah i got the i got the whole rundown on on how to from laying out shots setting up your cameras setting up your projection cameras lighting everything quick textures etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, and that was that was a fantastic learning opportunity. And then from there to Blizzard, Blizzard doing more map painting stuff, uh, working on Diablo, and worked on some WoW stuff, worked on a little StarCraft stuff in the map painting department over there. Over there, I was primarily doing like a lot of CG scene setup, a lot of lighting, a lot of material stuff, uh, a lot of rendering. And then I was sitting with a couple map painters, Fabio Zengros. And I would pass off the map painting to him in layers. He would paint up the layers, pass it back, reproject it, render it out, things like that. So I was reading in um, in one of your interviews that you know you never really thought of yourself as like a kick-ass student, but back then there just weren't a lot of people doing this, so it was you know a little bit easier. I, I remember those days a bit too myself. And you know, do you think those those rules still kind of apply, or is it a different deal now? I think. Nowadays, students in school have the resources and enough, number one, documentary out there on the internet, tutorials mm-hmm. and such, to yeah. be able to just be standalone. And I mean, school is invaluable. You, your peers and the people around you, as long as you don't burn bridges, will be able to get you 
far in life uh, just by networking. And, and when everyone graduates, people get out there, you stay friends with all these people, and it's very easy to see what's going on. However, without school, just doing the straight online thing, the tutorial stuff, grinding it out at home is another possibility. I think either either way is a solid path. It's just, it's just how hard you try, really. So along those lines, is there any one thing that makes a difference over another, you know, and, and essentially what I'm leading with this is, you know, you've got a, I'm looking here at your art station and there's like a ton of assembled scenes, great lighting. So I have a, I have a ton of students that this is essentially what they want to be doing. They want to be establishing this, but you know, devil's in the detail. There's a lot of ways to get lost and, you know, you can spend a lot of time on a prop. So, you know, that just that rocking horse could take multiple weeks, depending on how you, you implement that. Is there any one thing that really helps somebody achieve success as an environment artist over another? I'd say first step is to look at your personality type and see what kind of person you are. If you are the type of person that just gets lost in the details and will sit there and ZBrush, you know, a button on a shirt for an hour, then catering your portfolio towards that single piece or those two or three pieces of unbelievably detailed, rendered, textured assets is going to be your way to go because that's your strength and that's what you love to do i'm assuming if you're spending an hour on a button and having three or four just kick-ass super super high quality high detail high everything pieces do it if you're one of those big idea picture persons that can start with a concept a sketch you can block it out in engine and you can do all that stuff do quick lighting pass if you can get that quick block quick conceptual idea out into the engine in a Mm -hmm. day yeah. then you're, you're, you're not that noodler. And then you're more of a person that can actually finish an environment and finish a scene. It's just going about it in the right way and making your checklist, hitting your checklist, giving yourself dates and time timeframes to be able to move on. Because like you said, and, and I'm sure is what, what you're alluding to is that a lot of people will start with a big environment piece that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they'll wind up spending a week on a bush, on one bush that gets duped, you know, 15, 20 times. But you got a shit hot looking bush with a bunch of crap looking <laughs> other things around it. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know? So is the dilemma, I mean, is the answer to kind of just grind on the props or is there a trick? You know, if you're focused on the overall picture, like yep. your primary focus isn't, hey, I'm going to be a prop artist, but I want to make environments. So is there yep. a trick? Getting this done? There is a trick. And the trick that I would say where you need to start is with your camera and your composition. Any composition that is a successful composition can then be catered and built around that camera and that composition. Because we're not going to move that camera, for example. We'll lock that camera down, and there's going to be things in the foreground. You're going to have your foreground elements. You're going to have your background elements. Those background elements, not nearly as much time and effort needs to be spent on those as the ones in the foreground. For example, a kitchen table environment scene, for example, and, and the kitchen table is your mid foreground element with a, a, a chandelier or a, I'm sorry, like a candelabra on it. Mm-hmm. And then in the back is a sink and a wall and a window and all, all sorts of cupboards and stuff like that. Well, that candelabra and that table, whatever you're putting on there is going to be your storytelling environment set piece, which needs that polish and that love. It's where your eye should go first if your composition is working. And all that shit in the background is hopefully going to be doffed out a little bit. You're going to have light screaming through that's going to be covering it. It might, might have a little particle dust motes and shit back there. Those things don't need to be nearly as polished as that candelabra and the things on the table because it's not your main focal point. And it's a locked off camera shot that you're just going to do right there. So 
boom, there you go. Spend that time in the mid-ground, the important things. Your eyes go in there. That background stuff is important. It needs to be there to make the room feel full and fill it out. Fuck, that's a tongue twister, but it needs to be there. <laughs> it needs to be in the background. It needs to, needs to look correct, but it doesn't need to have the emphasis and the focus on that foreground piece. Do you ever do like an analysis of like, this is really only, I don't know, 50 pixels of the final image? Sure. sure. Yeah. Well, see, it's hard though for video games, Finch especially, mm-hmm. You're walking around this whole house. So you literally can go into the corner. You can hold the trigger, zoom in a little bit, and look at this little fucking teddy bear in the corner of the room that (laughs) is just as in focus as the thing on the table that you're picking up and actually using. Mm -hmm. So to to that extent, I I take back everything that I just said for (laughs) a game like Finch where all the props in the room do need to be up to close to the same level of of fidelity and detail. Yeah. But now if we're dealing with students... Mm-hmm. Is that an acceptable approach? Exactly. And and for students, I'm assuming, I mean, I, I back when I was teaching at Otis, I taught a couple of semesters there and getting pieces for your portfolio. To me, the still, still shots, art station, still shots. When people are looking at your stuff, people want to hire you. We're literally pulling your thing up. We're giving you a couple minutes and we're clicking picture, next picture, next. That's it. We're that first impression, those first three images that we look at as a group it's not just one person either a lot of times it's a recruiter that's going to be looking at it but once that recruiter sends it over to the, the art leader the seniors to look at and be like hey what do you guys think of this this student or this mid-level or this senior well those first three things that we look at is going to say a lot and it's going it, to we're going to we're going to judge the shit out of you <laughs> unfortunately that's just the way of, the way it works but if you if that first thing that we click on captivates us and we're like okay okay i, I see something that's going on here i see where his thought is. I see where he's putting his attention to detail and, and his workflow. And if anything, that workflow is somewhat similar to mine, boom, automatically this person is going to be under the microscope versus, okay, this guy's got seven fucking nine things in his portfolio. They're all kind of half-assed. This one thing's cool, but the rest aren't that good. And you're flipping through these things fast. Nothing captivates you. You can't really learn a lot about this person's workflow because it's seven or eight things that are kind of meh. Boom, you're gone. Next, move on. Makes sense. So is it fair to say, you know, that the, how do I say this? I usually phrase it in the sense of you just, you want to know who you're competing with. And Mm -hmm. you can be in that pool where there's like thousands of people who all can operate at the same level. And your job is to get a couple of finished pieces that are really rock solid. So you're actually competing with a much smaller pool of people. Absolutely. So what in your mind, you know, it represents a finished piece or how do you start to like, what kind of work do you respond to that feels like it's part of your workflow? And um, yeah. and what I'm trying to do here is I'm, I have this kind of belief. It's kind of central to, to me that, you know, when that we all have these triggers, and it's not about being an amazing artist because if you're the artist, it never feels like you're amazing. So, right. so what are the triggers that tell HR that I'm a pro or, or that I'm ready or I'm a candidate or, or something of those natures? And specifically here in environments, you know, the, you, with your work, it's incredibly beautiful, well lit. They all look like paintings and, and all of that. So what are some of the triggers that you look for in people's work to say, you know, this is somebody that is down my alley? I, I understand this. I'd say there's a couple of things. One big kicker is when looking for other candidates that are professionals, a lot of times they're going to put their their company brand or their company logo in the bottom corner and you're going to pull up their page and you're going to see that they worked on Assassin's Creed. Right. You're going to see yeah. that little Assassin's Creed logo in the bottom corner. Immediately, boom, I know this guy is a professional. He's working in the industry. He's doing some shit. Boom, he goes up, 
like immediately in my mind to a, a certain caliber. Students don't have that stuff going on and they're in a different different pool, right? You're not judging them the same. You're not looking at their artwork the same, but sometimes you'll find student work that is almost just as good because I feel like those those are the students that are looking at all the professionals and learning from the way that they are presenting their portfolios and the things mm-hmm. that they are actually doing and just trying to replicate that. You know, the great masters in the day, they, they replicated and they painted over and over and over. Yeah. I feel it's very, very similar with environment artists now. If you're finding an artist, an environment artist that you really, really like that, that has done something that really resonates with you, I wouldn't say copy it one for one, but take inspiration of that and put your own spin and flair on it and try to recreate it. Yeah, man, it's 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 in the package. It's in, in the lighting. Good lighting can make a shitty model look pretty good. Vice versa, shitty lighting can make great stuff look bad. Definitely got to present your work in a way that will make it pop and make it sing. I'm a fan of, of always rendering out your stuff, your texture map sizes, all that stuff. Go high res with it for your portfolio and your screenshots. All professionals that are looking at candidates know that, yeah, we're not going to ship with a 2K texture map on a little soda cam prop, but if everything in your scene has that, it's just going to look that much better and that much more oomph. Getting the effects in there, getting some type of particle effects, getting those those little bells and whistles that just kind of mush everything together. You don't notice them, you don't see them, but you just feel that they're there. That's It's, it's something that I constantly say at work and all the time with the stuff I'm working on. There's so many little things that all bring bring this image and bring this world to life because of these nuanced little things that you don't see unless you're actually like looking for it. But as a whole, you don't see them. It just makes everything feel. And it just it just brings it all together. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that. All right. So I want to talk about the art because, you know, I get a strong like art vibe. Like even you call yourself a digital artist, not an environment artist. So I, I, I have a feeling somewhere in here, like this is just, this is a, an incredible art form for you. But before I get into that, I kind of want to hit on the lighting conversation because that's mm-hmm. kind of a nice segue for how we go from this you know, okay, I'm going to model this prop, I'm going to texture this prop. But now you talk about lighting. And so then, okay, I'm going to light it for presentation. But if I look at this stuff, this stuff's like, you know, there's in one image, I can't, uh, which one is this? In one image, Eddie's room? No, is it Molly's mm-hmm. room? Well, one of these, there's this tiny bit of a, and don't don't hate me for this. <laughs> there's this tiny bit of a Thomas Kincaid light, right? Like there's this soft, like Eddie's room, there's this beautiful, soft little light coming in it's very romantic and and whatnot and then we come over here into the finch's house you know and this there's more of like a wyeth simplicity or something of that nature but in terms of the light how do you set these things up to be beautiful are you setting up uh, you know a hundred different lights do you have like three lights are you changing the linear the quadratic the you know whatever it is in terms of the decay how are you getting this kind of natural beauty yeah so finch was my first project in unreal and I had to learn how to use Unreal's lighting system, basically. Mm-hmm. And that was a, an adventure that I was very excited to hop on. And I, I want to say scared, but I wasn't, I wasn't really that scared. Because of the lighting that I had done on Blizzard and, and back in the day at Disney and stuff like that, I understand. Yeah. Also, the reason why I call myself a digital artist is I shoot a lot of photography. I do a lot mm-hmm. of digital work. And lighting, obviously, is what makes photography work. It's all about the light. It, literally, ugliest subject most beautiful lighting, you'll have a great shot as long as you can compose it well. Take that and translate that into 3D. It's about where you want to lead the eye, really. We're walking through a house. We're going from room to room. 
we do have this mesh text that pops up and that helps the player kind of proceed throughout the house. However, we can use lighting as pinpoints as to where to look and as to where to go. You put a dark room with a bright light shining through a window onto a sink. You walk into that room, you're probably going to go walk over to the sink and look at the sink because that's where the light is shining. Mm-hmm. So working with design and working with creative director, we kind of ran through this game over and over and over every day for two, two and a half years of what the most kind of, I don't want to say optimal, but what, what the what the most cinematic way, I guess, is, is to approach the house and, and where to look. And with that, I was able to kind of use the windows and, and sculpt the light throughout the windows to kind of help cater to that. In the Finch house, there is no actual light direction that is consistent. Any lighting mm-hmm. artist that would play this game, if you walk through the house and actually study it, it makes absolutely no sense. The living room in the back has god rays and, and key light screaming through it, hitting the floor. And then if you look at the other side of the house, the kitchen, same thing. There's god rays and there's light angles screaming through and, and showcasing like the bookshelf and the bookcase and things of that nature. That's not accurate at all. That's just the way that I decided to light the room to point attention and focus as to where to go. Much like film, film does this all the time with their sets. They'll, they'll build their sets and they'll light up their shots catered for that shot compositionally to really understand yeah. what's going to work the best for that shot. And the same principles apply for video games. Something that's really, really fun to work on, really fun to do, because you're you're just working with that scene in that moment in that that room to to really dictate and cater to what you want the player to experience. Yeah, so getting technical a little bit with it. Yes, there were hundreds and I wouldn't say thousands, but there's hundreds of lights, a lot of a lot of point lights, a lot of fill lights, different intensities throughout each room and each window to really like I was saying earlier, bring the player to those specific areas and have them mm-hmm. look at and react to certain things. Big, big challenge was that the game, you go from day to night and the house is traversable, obviously, as we walk up during the day and then halfway through, you go outside, it's nighttime, you go back in the house and it's nighttime as well. So we had to figure out, thank God, uh, sorry for our, our engineer, we worked uh, very closely on figuring out ways to bake this entire house interior exterior daytime nighttime and have it all work so that you don't stomp the light maps when you rebake something for daytime and for nighttime it was a, it was a big challenge back in this time unreal 413 or whatever it was we didn't have uh lighting subsets which which you have now so that you can very easily switch your time of day lighting in mm-hmm. that sub level we didn't have that back then so we had to we had to come up with some trickery which was kind of fun and cool yeah, there was no no real secret sauce there other than making sure that when you're doing your test lighting, a little tip that I had was each one of these rooms had their own sublevel. So Molly's room, Barbara's room, in the house, the interior, the exterior, you need to turn on the exterior of the building to actually occlude the light from, you know, shining in when you're doing these these preview bakes and these test bakes. Okay. So what I would do is I'd put the exterior of the house in the shell all that on a sublevel of the house. And then I would turn on just, you know, Molly's room, for example, turn off all the other sublevels. Yeah. That way you can just iterate really, really quickly because you're only baking that one interior room and playing with the direction of the lights and the color and bounce intensity, et cetera, et cetera, until you get something that you like. And basically I kind of do this and we do a first pass. We do a milestone on a room. We would make the props. I was usually building the architecture, making the textures, other artists were making props. 
I'd hop in there, make a couple props. And then after about a week, two weeks, we would start set decking it out with all our props. Then I'd do a preliminary lighting setup, kind of find the right angles of the light screaming through the window, wherever, wherever the key light was coming from, it was usually the windows. And yeah. And then we just get something pretty quick, pretty loose, pretty blocked in there. But what it did is it answered the questions of design. So you're going into this room, how are you getting into the room? What are you going to do in the room? And then how do you leave the room? And with that, we would have all the, the props and the storybook element things all set up to be able to come into the room, do that and leave the room. And we do all that, do all that really quick. And like, you know, like I said, a couple of weeks, two weeks, and then we move on to the next room. And then we just kind of do this room by room by room by room throughout the house. Nothing looked really that good, but it looked good enough to be able to play throughout this whole thing. And then we would start going back and then refining and adding more props, polishing textures, polishing the lighting, tweak, 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 go back, next room, next room, next room. And just kind of do this back and forth and uh, just keep doing that until we brought it up to a level of fidelity, which we shipped with. Okay, that makes sense. So it's really important to get that gameplay going. And um, yep. and that's a big part of, I, I can imagine that's a big part of what you're doing, of course, on at uh, Giant Sparrow, because it's a small team, right? Yep. So it's like, well, yep. who else can do that? Is that something you deal with at Riot, or is that something where it's like other people kind of manage that and they come back with notes? At Riot, it's weird. We, we we have an art director now, and he's a fantastic art director, and he's very easy to work with and very enjoyable to work with. So it's it's a little bit different now, and it's also a much bigger team. I mean, the team of environment artists that, that I'm working with right now is is a handful, and I, we have one one lighter on the team. I can't really get into too many, too much details of what we're doing and what we're working on, but the workflow that we have is more along the lines of other uh, game development studios traditionally yeah. versus the Finch stuff was, you know, 13 people total for the entire team, three artists, where three artists, you have to do a lot. Here, everybody is a little little bit more more separated out to where you can have an individual person who's primarily doing lighting and that kind of stuff. Got it. So you and I were bit old school where do you see all this stuff going do you ever sit back and you're like this is is this really what i'm doing when i'm 50 you know because <laughs> you ever think about that i was thinking about that just the other day i was like i don't even know what i'm supposed to do at 50 because i you know <laughs> nobody does computer arts at 50 like because it doesn't exist i mean 20. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're, at, we're at the vanguard, you know, for a lot of sense. So do you ever think, ever wonder about where this goes? Do you ever get excited about VR or, or any of this yeah. other stuff? Yeah, especially with the new RTX stuff, the new NVIDIA ray tracing stuff. With the new Unreal, you can now start playing around with real-time dynamic stuff. That's what I, I love playing with that stuff, just to hop in there and just, just mess around with it, just to see what the technology does. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, you know, when I'm 50, I personally think that, those of us who have gone from college from the beginning of like the Xbox 360 days up until whatever it's going to be, then we're kind of, we're going to be these, these elders with a a breadth of knowledge of game development from start to finish. And hopefully we're going to be able to teach and hold, you know, hold that, that flame of innovation from our younger days all the way to the future of what becomes of it. And as long Mm -hmm. as we're up to date and as long as we, we keep on top of it and keep that mindset young to be able to continue learning because you have to. I think we're going to be in good positions to be able to help art direct and to be able to help help lead teams. And it's really understanding how the pipeline works because I don't think that that is changing. Outsourcing is something that's obviously a big thing now that a lot of studios are turning to. But mm-hmm. if you 
if you treat your outsources as inter- internal employees that are just cranking out props, well, then there's there's nothing much different than just that. And I know they hire for outsourcing manager. You know, they that's do. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though outsourcing's there, and that, and really that just you know, because I train people in India and all over the place, so mm-hmm. you know, th- uh, it just means that it's going outside of the states or North America. Um, exactly, but they're still doing the exact same things that we would be doing here. All right. And uh, so the key thing is pipeline and getting experience. Do you, for students who are looking to get out there, you know, they got a lot to learn. I mean, for anybody who wants to go out there and get noticed, for example, maybe they finished college, you know, and I always tell people like, you know, our industry doesn't care if you went to Harvard. Our, our industry doesn't care if you worked as George Lucas's personal assistant, right? It, like it nope. all comes down. It's all about your portfolio. Your, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what do you recommend well, so- people? Yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, that's just half of it. Even maybe a little less than half is your portfolio because that's what's going to get you noticed. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to get you like, oh shit, look at this kid. He's making some dope shit. But once you come here for a meet and greet or once you come to Riot or whatever studio for a meet and greet or for an interview, that's when we really find out who you are and what type of person you are, which is arguably more important than the work that's in your portfolio. Because if you're a fucking asshole or if you're super cocky or if you're whatever you have personality things then you're not going to get in the door because you're not going right. to be able to work with these other 10 people and that i cannot stress enough how important that is to stay humble stay hungry be that person that can't stop learning and that wants to be able to help out people in every single facet in every which way that's what's going to get me to be like yep this is the guy he might not be he might not be the best he might might be kicking out the dopest shit in the world, but he's super humble. He's super cool. I say he, but he or she is is just a fantastic person to work with. That's what mm-hmm. I want. That's, that's, a that's great what's point. important to me. You know, when I went to school, there was a hotshot guy. Uh, he actually got a lot of uh, flack when he first started the industry and he kind of adjusted a little bit. But, you know, he's a real hotshot, did these really awesome projects, really rock solid, you know, and he was like, he worked crazy hours. He was a big mm-hmm. go-getter. He did these kind of, he did stuff that we were just, we were all like, oh my God. But, you know, he was a bit of a hotshot. He was a bit of, there was some ego there. And, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit, a couple of kicks to the butt yep. from the industry and people knocking it and uh, eventually kind of pulled in. But do you think it's important for people, basically what I'm trying to get to is, how do we manifest that? Is that just in the one-on-one conversations or because the other side of this is, you know, I ask students to go and they, and guys go out there, create these hotshot products or get, go out, create your own game. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, is that important or is the meet and greet or you getting where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you reel that in? If you are an egotistical person, yeah. you might not even know if you have an <laughs> ego because in yeah. school, people are coming to you all the time because you are the, the hot shot. Exactly. And they want to learn yeah. from you. It's a, it's a very challenging one. I think a lot of it actually has to do with who you are as a person and how you were raised. Parenting has a lot to do with that. If, if you get spoiled as a kid, oftentimes you get everything handed to you, you go to the best schools, best colleges, make the best work, come out with everything given to you. Might be a little egotistical and just think that the world is, is just been handed to you to, to take and do what you want with it. Yeah. You step into that studio. And then there's people that just lap you and are way better than you and asking you, what do you, what are you doing? Why aren't you working with the team this way and such and so forth? That's when problems are going to arise. 
Uh, right. And you're like, hey, you know, this is what I do. This is how I do it. It's better. You know, it's better because X, Y, and Z. You know, I've seen totally. it a couple of times. Yep. It's very dangerous. Yep. It is. Yes. Yes. And I think it's just, it's, it's as, as that, that person coming out of school, whether mm-hmm. or not you know you have an ego, just assume that you do, I guess. <laughs> and, and <laughs> when going in, just know that you are, you're not the hot shit going in. There's other people there that have, surpassed you by years of professional expertise you mentioned earlier you're not up to date on all the software and you know all that stuff and not designer not substance designer that's not my jam i don't know about that shit i tried (laughs) it i spent a couple hours and i'm like and then i see the people doing some insane shit i'm like right oh my god how long are you spending on this program but then i think it's also since it's node-based some people just work in node-based systems extremely well Totally. Um, it's, it's a form of logic. Yeah, dude, it, it is. And if you can pick up that node base, boom, go for it. Do it. That's just not for me. Or at least I haven't I haven't put in the time to really understand that language of node based systems yet. But it doesn't seem necessary. I mean, I'm looking at your work and it's like, well, who cares? It's irrelevant. I mean, so that's where this question goes is, is like, you know, is it? Is it irrelevant for people to be up and up on the latest stuff? I like to tell people that, you know, the reason why I'm where I'm at today is because i was up and up on zbrush like very 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 yeah sure yeah and so that made a big impact in my life but then i get pushback from people that are like well you know uh, i want to be a a sculptor i don't want to do all this other stuff and i get it because there's this okay i'm going to leverage what's out there you know to help my career or look i don't care about leveraging anything i care about this as an art form Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and this is this is another one of those age-old questions that Yes, you can just stick to sculpting and be the world's best ZBrush face sculptor. And if you are, you're going to get picked up by film companies all around the world because you make the best face or head bust sculpts, right? And that is a niche position that people will want you for. If you want to go indie and all you know how to do is sculpt faces, then you're fucked and you're not going to be able to do anything. (laughs) <laughs> so I wouldn't advise that if you want to do indie, but it's, it's, it's really what you want to do. And it, and that boils down even nowadays to there are just primarily texture artists that do nothing but texture. If that's what you want to do, then yes, substance designer, substance painter, Photoshop, 3d coat, all those things. You gotta, you gotta know all that stuff. You need to know all those softwares. You gotta have exceptional painting skills. You gotta know color theory better than most people, et cetera, et cetera. But that's because you want to just be a texture artist. If you want to be, a generalist, well, fuck, now we're talking about somebody who needs to know how to model, texture, bake textures out, do a little bit of animation maybe, know how to rig some stuff up, a little bit of particle effects in there. You're a jack of all trades, but you're a master of none. That person will be very valuable in a small 10-man indie studio team, but they'll never work at Treyarch or, or you know Call of Duty as an environment artist, for example, because their skill set is not particular enough to that type of studio. And mm-hmm. film, if you want to get into film, that's a similar but even more extreme version where they have people that just model and you don't even do your uvs you just model the thing and throw it over the fence surfacing artists downstairs will take it they'll unwrap it they'll lay it out in multiple uv sets they'll paint it in 3d coat or or substance whatever they're using now to paint and film Mm -hmm. and then that gets passed off to the lighters and then the lighters will set it up and light it and then the compositors will composite the lighting passes and then the fucking editor will start it's just it's this crazy assembly line of niche 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 skills right so it's really kind of and it's and it's tough to say pick do you want to go to film do you want to go to games pick now what you want to do but 
if you can do that and you know that that's what you want to do. Like for me, I knew that I wanted to do environments. I knew that I was not going to be a character animator because I took a class and I saw people getting it, doing animation way better than me. My shit was sliding. Everything was messed up and I was just very frustrated with it. And I saw people just getting it real easy and really quick. And I'm like, you know what? This is not for me. I can model and texture and light better than all these people. I enjoy doing it. That's what I want to do. I just dropped animation. I dropped character, everything, and went 110% into environments and modeling, lighting, texturing. And that's what I knew that I wanted. That's what I knew I loved. That's where my passion was. If I wasn't at work getting paid doing it, I'd be at home doing it for fun. And it worked for me. And that's that's the, the one piece of advice that I can give. If you can't find that one thing that you really, really love, go full blown and just give it your all. Brandon, man, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And if you guys want to find Brandon online, it's artstation.com forward slash bmart. All right, Brandon, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate meeting you and um and looking at your work and and getting to know, you know, your process and your and your how you went through this. For sure. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. You're absolutely welcome. Tell your students if they have any specifics, hit me up. I'm I'm approachable. I am very blunt. I'm very honest. If you want some critiques or any of that shit, I'm I'm down. I'll Sweet. tell you. I'll tell you what I think. All right, that sounds awesome. Thanks so much, man. Right Take on. care. Thank you, man. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.